Hello everyone and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry and speaking of welcome back, Danny Hatch is with <laughs> me again. Welcome back, Danny. Finally! Oh, I missed this so much. I am so, so glad to be back here again. I miss talking to you. I miss talking to you too. And I just, I miss talking about movies. I feel like I might um, be verbal vomiting a little bit today because I just have all these pent up ideas. I'm like, I, well, I've needed to talk about films with people. That will that will make two of us because, um, and don't don't think of this as as entirely your fault, uh, because <laughs> uh, because this this isn't a matter of just movies that have come out while you're while you've been gone, but good mm-hmm. grief, there are so many <laughs> movies to cover today. And, oh, uh, goodness, and I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll explain a little bit more for our audience in a second. But uh, but first, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's been going on? How how did things go? Yeah, no, um, it's been a crazy semester for sure. And honestly, it was really hard for me to say I would have to put this on hold. But I just I don't know how I could have juggled this and making a short film this semester. And um, the short film was a part of a class of mine, so like there's very strict time restraints with that. And yeah. Um, fortunately, being a college student, you have a lot available to you. So for my entire crew, I recruited my fellow film students, and they were fabulous. And, um, you know, rented equipment. So it was just, it was such a weird experience feeling like this little kid playing with big toys. (laughs) You know, this little child telling people what to do and, like, printing out paperwork and... Um, making phone calls and all that sort of stuff. Like, it was it was so bizarre to do something of that kind of caliber, but it was just, it was a great experience. It was a great learning experience because, I mean, it's still a student film, so it's not quite perfect, and watching it sometimes pains my soul a little bit, but <laughs> I'm also very proud of it, and I think well, it's a you. good story, and I'm hoping to uh, put it out into festivals and stuff like that. That's the objective of the class, so... It's it's something that I do feel proud showing off and nice. Um, yeah. So what's so what's the elevator pitch for it? What's what's it about? <laughs> so um, basically, it's kind of this live action adaptation of The Sneetches by Dr. Seuss. Okay. Um, I was just feeling really strongly during this time of brainstorming about that story and the importance of respecting differences and conformity and um, discrimination and you know those kind of ideas yeah, and right. I just and I love the style so um we kind of did these um hand sewn yellow t-shirts with stars and with these <laughs> stitches to kind of represent the us versus them dynamic and um uh, I know my sister had been feeling that same way and I felt like I could confide with her like you know those deeper meanings and so uh she starred in it but she lives out in Virginia. She's studying acting in Virginia right now. Okay. And so she flew out on a red-eye um, Sunday night, and then we filmed basically all day on Monday, and then she flew out that night to go back to school, to go back to, like, her performances and everything. So wow. I was really grateful for that. But yeah, um, I think that was something that kind of hurt, something that I learned. It's like, you know, for any those film students out there, um, definitely get so much footage like it's better to have more footage than be lacking and I think that was something that kind of hurt a little bit but considering what we had I I think we got we got something good anyways out of it but nice well well, congratulations (laughs) thank you it's got to feel tremendously better 
Oh, yeah, I'm uh, finishing up the editing today and then submitting it today. So it will be finalized, which is crazy. Nice, nice. I won't be picking at it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, for now, for now. Because you know, know. If, if George Lucas has taught us anything, it is that uh, <laughs> the, work, the, work, the work is never truly finished. And... <laughs> I'm going to inject oh, some... Yeah. Some bad CGI and some exactly. some, some revisionist storytelling, and <laughs> the one the one Sneech is going to shoot first instead, and <laughs> it's all going to go downhill. Oh, I'm taking notes right now. I'm just I'm telling you, be ready. This. I'm just saying, be ready. <laughs> all right. Well, so, okay. So in the midst of all of this, then uh, this this almost feels a little bit mean for me to even ask. Oh, um, but have you have you been able to see? see anything in the in the theater or even you know streaming or anything in, in the meantime not really not much no but <laughs> and that's that's why i say like I'm, I'm pretty sure that was going to be the answer but i might as well <laughs> no, we got to um, find some way to segue here so oh for sure for sure no and but something i learned not, not just with the filmmaking process but also just my relationship with entertainment as i was so focused is something you've talked a lot about where it's like the critic is there to help people know which movies they want to spend their money on if they mm -hmm. can only go to so many movies in a yeah. certain span of time, right? And um, so, you know, I was still listening to the podcast. I, I miss this podcast so much, and um, I think you did a fabulous job keeping it going. Oh, thank um, you. Something I really appreciated with your reviews is, like, you know, hearing about all the films. I'm like, you know what? Dune is probably the film that I would enjoy the most. And so we had this rare date night opportunity. We had some ticket vouchers we were able to cash in, and uh, we went and saw Dune in theaters. And oh, nice. I think, I think you were so totally right. So you did see right. something. I did see something. Hooray. Oh, good. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I, I think you were so right that it was a, a great film to see in theaters with the, the sound. Um, I, I did want to ask you something, though, because, like, yeah. I don't know if this was just because Shoot. of the theater I went to. But, um... Uh, did you have a hard time hearing what the people were saying? Like, it sounded as um, if one of the speakers might not have been working in the theater, or maybe the sound mixing was bad? Yeah, I I don't remember having sound problems, but okay. I do remember the movie being very Hans Zimmer-ish. Because he's, he's, he's yeah. the one who did the score, right? Yeah, and, I think so. And isn't he also the one who does all the Nolan scores? And so... Mm -hmm. Who, who and also no has a reputation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, I hear about, I hear that complaint about him, about Nolan, quite frequently. Um, and from what I remember about Dune, I don't, I don't remember struggling to follow what anybody was saying, but I remember mm -hmm. it having that very distinctive kind of heavy. I'm not even sure what the term, the technical term would be, but um, I don't know that it would be a speaker problem so much as a source style choice issue mm -hmm. okay w would be my guess okay no that's totally fair i also think the theater like it wasn't necessarily like the nicest setup there so and that I, could be I it be too surprised if yeah that kind of played a factor but it was just such a bummer because like um i really liked the world building i love prophecy kind of stuff it gave me arrival kind of vibes where it's playing into that whole like knowing things will change what you're doing yeah. in the present moment. Like, I well, love that. Is logical, right? Because it's the oh, same totally. director. Is it? 
my yeah. gosh. Oh yeah. Oh. No, the same the same guy, the same guy uh, oh. uh Denise Villeneuve. Uh, yes. he's, he's the one who did Arrival, he did uh, Blade Runner 2049, and now now he's doing the Dune movies. Okay, yeah. yeah. See, I think I started tracking directors a little bit after that time. <laughs> so, uh. like, because I knew him from that and from this short that I, I watched in one of my classes. And okay. I mean, he's, yeah, he's fantastic. So, yeah, yeah no, directing was beautiful and just, well, so it, was, it was such a fun experience. Yeah, well, let me let me ask you a question about it. So, please. So, what was your background with the source material? Had you had you read the book? Had you seen the first, the David Lynch movie? Any of the like the because I think there's even like a TV miniseries version about ten, twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, I um, I knew nothing about the source material, and in fact, I wasn't even gonna go see okay. it because it's like. I, I, it felt like more of a fan kind of movie. This is why I was asking, and I guess this is yeah. my more pointed question for you, was the uh, the sense that I got was that if somebody came into the movie without having the the read the book or seen the other movies, that they still were able to explain things in a clear enough way that they were able to make the complex plot easy to follow. So yeah. what, what did you no, think? I, I, think, I think that's what I remember you saying then, because... And that's why I felt safe going to see it because I, I had like family members who are like, I was so confused and all that stuff. But um, considering the other kind of movies they watch, I think they they like to have things a little more straightforward. And um, I, I like the subtleties and everything. And like I said, the world building was uh, fantastic. So yeah. I, I think it totally did. Like um, I was able to follow maybe not as well as someone who read the books, but, like, you know, you pick up on certain tropes, you know, oh, this is the hero kind of character, this is the mentor kind of character, and, you yeah. know, you're able to piece things together, and you're, you're still able to grasp those um, new items that were really fun. And, if yeah. anything, I think the movie got me really excited about the whole franchise where I was wanting more, and for me, I think that's always a good sign with a movie is when I'm wanting more, I want to see it again, yeah, and, oh, for um, sure. So I, I started listening to, to the book, actually, because of that, because um, I, I wanted to know more. And I think what you said about Rebecca Ferguson, like, totally, because I'm still in that part where you're setting up a lot of stuff with the mom. And, um, man, she was fantastic. Like, having that comparison now, like, man, it, it just, like, made me appreciate it even more. So um, I, I, th I think that's a good thing where, you know, bringing it back is kind of, you know, I, I feel at least some... Um, discovering kind of this lost treasure and i've i've really enjoyed it so oh, great well so i'm looking you, forward to seeing more well that's what i was going to say like if uh i i don't wouldn't want to ruin your new passion but if you do want to go <laughs> back and check out the david lynch version i would be it's fascinated to know okay. well no because i i actually enjoy that one but yeah as somebody who didn't grow up loving the original book and I think that's why I can appreciate it is because I had no previous foundation yeah. and so I kind of went in and it's like because it's this really weird very David Lynch cornball <laughs> like you know I'd, I'd almost say wait until part two comes out from mm. the new the new one see that enjoy it in it kind of it's pristine you know that read the book and then once the dust settles you still have to have the Lynch experience, and for sure, you know, in in episode, you know, one hundred and seventy-five, we'll uh, we'll break down your 
your reaction to <laughs> the David Lynch version. But uh, but anyway, no, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you're able to see it because that because that one, you know, this this new one is definitely one of my favorite movies this year. And uh, yeah, no, it was it was definitely different. I loved that. Yeah. Because um, something I do want to touch on a little bit later is just how like movies were fine this year. I think, but there were so <laughs> few that like wow they. They did something. They they made a movie here instead of just like, oh, well, yeah. this was something that was going to come out, and now it's so here. So that, that is a – I think that's a great comment to kind of lead into our next little phase of the episode here because mm-hmm. the way that I would describe it, and, and I, think, I think fine is a perfect term, um, last year – there were a number of good movies that I saw, you know, when I kind of had to do the whole blitz to, you know, get rid of for the year end vote or whatever the mm-hmm. equivalent was, because it actually happened in February. There were lots of good movies, but nothing that I felt like, oh, I want to buy this for my own collection. Yeah. Right? And that was, that was kind of my yeah. cutoff. Um, I am happy to say that in spite of a rough road, uh, that's not going to be the case this year. And so that might be the best way to lead in. So these, so these are the movies that I call, you know, these are the quote-unquote prestige movies, the, the quote-unquote, the, the, the prestige reviews, you know, the ones oh, that are yeah. they're kind of, they're shooting for grandeur and, and awards, and, and there's kind of an almost calculated design where there's, okay, well, if we follow this formula and check these boxes, Oscar glory and, and Golden Globes are, are just, you know, a few votes away. And... <laughs> And they are totally not expected to be big money makers. They're not wide audience crowd pleasers. They're, but there's tons of them, and yeah. and so because there's there's a almost it, it's weird because on the one hand, like the timing of the release is just specifically so they can barely qualify, and yet because it's become such a common practice, it seems like it's expected now that if you have a movie that has a performance or something that's going to be uh, for awards contention, they're all saved to the end of the year. And, yeah. and so so the long and short of it is that I have been trying to mine my way through <laughs> a mountain of, of, of movies in, in the last month or so um, that I will never completely get through. I mean, there's, there's just no way... No. As as a non full time movie critic, that I could even really scratch the surface of this stuff. Um, but what I'm going to attempt to do for our episode is is parse out what I have seen, and uh, at least give give the people what they may or may not want as far as... as Because this stuff will be, like, the most polarizing, too, because, like, this is the kind of stuff where it's, like, either, like, you have to watch this because it's it's so important, it's so impactful, or it's, like, they're trying too hard and it makes you really uncomfortable or, you know, or it's just going to be a difference of taste, too, because we've got a lot of biopic kind of stuff, right? And it's, like, if you're a fan of this, you might, like, yeah... So okay, so so with no with without further ado, then um, I have broken down the prestige reviews into four <laughs> categories. <laughs> All right. Oh, fabulous! Um, and and the first one is is the biggest category, and it's it's the awful rich people movies. Um, 
Oh, because, we love to eat the rich, don't we? Oh my goodness. And well, it's it's so hard because on the one hand, these these movies do seem to be kind of criticizing like the downside of of wealth and fame and all this. As they're played by ridiculously wealthy people. Well, that both that and it's just the focus on it, right? Is the mm. the, the assumption that we want to see stories about famous wealthy people and mm. so I'll, but I'll, I'll okay so so let me let me jump in so so I've got four four movies in here that uh, that I think qualify um, maybe maybe three strong ones and one that I kind of would just kind of shoehorn in here it's an uh, honorable mention the, right the the most obvious candidate here is House of Gucci um, oh yeah the uh, the Ridley Scott I believe and and Gucci referring to the famous you know fashion brand from you know decades past uh, and it's still active today uh, so this movie is set about forty years ago and and it follows the famous Gucci family behind the brand that you know and love maybe you love I don't know uh, it's uh, <laughs> they're still active today they've been around for decades and decades. Uh, and it follows Maurizio Gucci, who at that point was kind of the heir to the family business, even though he wasn't super interested in it. Um, Adam Driver plays the character, and he meets uh, a woman named Patrizia, uh, played by Lady Gaga, and she comes from a very kind of comparatively blue-collar uh, type of world, and and. The whole story effectively follows her rise and fall as she meets and dates uh, Maurizio. You know, they get married. Uh, they just they eventually decide to kind of take over or, or get involved in the family business, uh, and they accumulate great wealth. But of course, there's also manipulation and backstabbing and et cetera, et cetera. And and for the sake of anybody who wants to see it, I won't tell you where it goes. I mean, if you, if you have paid attention to the news, you might already know, but, and actually like on a, in a, on a positive way, it kind of, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, actually there's a couple of these movies that remind me of this is Breaking Bad where, where the, mm. you know, the Brian Cranston character, you know, m evolved over the course of the series, but only because he already kind of had certain things in place that enabled that, that devolution or that, you know, so, so anyway, so that's kind of like the, the, the poster child for this, you know, awful famous rich people category. Um, Lady Gaga does a fantastic job. Adam Driver does a fantastic job. Oh uh, yeah. One of the things that, that defines a lot of these movies, especially the ones in this category is that the performances are fantastic. The movie's a little less so. Um, the movies are still good. It's still, you know, well-produced, well-put-together, well-directed, all that kind of thing. But just the stories just kind of leave me asking, so what? You know, like, okay, so we know that power corrupts, money corrupts, right? And people in power and with lots of wealth do awful things. And, you know, so so while it's, it is a, a quote-unquote good movie, it's still something that leaves me feeling a little hollow, and and I would say the same for a couple other movies in the same category. So the other one, and this is the one I feel like I'm kind of shoehorning a little bit, um, Spencer, the biopic of Princess Diana, Lady Di, who, who died in the late 1990s, you know, British princess, uh, Princess of Wales, actually, I think, technically. Um, I could be mm -hmm. wrong on that. Uh, Kristen Stewart um, plays, plays Lady Diana, and 
fantastic job. Again, like a really, really great performance. She totally inhabits it. And uh, the movie, though, super weird. I mean, it's 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 basically this imagined scenario of of how her Christmas holiday went prior to her death. And so not really so much a documented true story as just kind of the filmmakers imagining what she was going through at the time as she's kind of separating from Prince Charles and, and all this. Uh, again, the performance is really good, but there's there's a surreal quality to it, especially with the soundtrack that just becomes, or the score that, that starts, you know, just... They're, they're trying to portray the conflict and kind of the mental instability. Just a, like I said, another one of these ones where... Uh, the performance is really, really cool. The movie, a lot less so. And and since, you know, yeah. the royals are super wealthy and, and all this kind of stuff, I put in this category. The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, I was which, wondering about that one because that's yeah. another one where it's like the performance looks amazing. Yes. And, and, and it's interesting because here the performance is very, very different. So Jessica Chastain plays Tammy Faye Baker, who was the the wife slash business partner of Jim Baker, who was kind of a famous televangelist. And they they were kind of one of the, you know, the, the poster children for the whole making tons of money off of the faith of others. They kind of had like their Christian uh, uh, ministry that uh, I think is kind of like loosely connected to some established faiths, but mostly served to make them a lot of money. And yeah. they got in trouble for it down the road. And 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 Tammy Faye Baker is, you know, very well known for just like this very over-the-top uh, persona and look, you know, and it, like specifically her eyes, which is why the movie is named, you know, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, because just tons and tons of makeup and just kind of garish and crazy. And, <laughs> and she's got kind of like this, this, this very, very energetic, bubbly personality that, you know, so as a result, Jessica Chastain, her performance is basically spot on. I mean, I, don't, I, I haven't, you know, I, you I'm don't not follow televangelists in, I don't follow televangelists any more closely than I follow the Royals. So, so my, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I only kind of have a surface, surface knowledge here, but her performance is really good, but it's also very cartoonish because the character is very cartoonish. Mm. And so it's, it's, I think that there is a, there's a subtle difference between a performance that is a performance and a performance that is an impression. And, oh. and both, both with Chastain and then uh, Andrew Garfield, your buddy, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, he plays Jim Baker. Yep. So yeah, so he plays her husband and they're both such just kind of lively, like I say, car kind of cartoonish characters mm -hmm. that they're very memorable, but I almost want to take them down a peg just because they are so, you know, enhanced if that's if that's a fair a fair thing to say, but same same type of deal. It's a rise of fall. You know, they start off and you know, and and Tammy Faye is growing up in poverty and and just you know she, she's actually a child of divorce and which at the time uh, really kind of ostracized her. And so mm -hmm. so it's another you know they she gets together with with Jim Baker in college and they get married and they start their their ministry and they make all kinds of money and get in trouble. And so it's another rise and fall story. Yeah. Right? Well, this this is kind of interesting to me, this idea of impression where it almost, like, takes you out of it. It doesn't feel like you're watching real people, right? And, I mean, that's the point, right? Yeah. 
But it kind of made me think um, today as I was prepping for this, and I don't know if this movie is going to be in this category, but um, being the Ricardos, was that in this list? Oh, you're getting ahead oh, of me. You're, you're, come on, well, you're, you're spoiling the... <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but like, I mean, I think it's just interesting because like, you know, thinking of that larger than life persona, like, you know, Lucy, right? Because um, mm-hmm. being the Ricardos is about that um, famous couple, the Ricardos uh, in uh, I Love Lucy, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I when I was watching the trailer, it kind of felt like, you know, they were, you know, for sure doing that, the impression, like, as they're being filmed. But I think the trailer goes to show, like, a lot of, you know, the actual person and not yeah. the persona. But I don't and, know if the film actually did that very well. If I, I wanted to pick your brain on that. Um, now, the one movie that I, I would say is is something that I would endorse as a, as a, you know, this is a good movie and I would be most happy to see get awards would be Being the Ricardos, um, which is... Wonderful. Yeah, which which is effectively the the story of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, uh, man and wife, you know, famous couple that also plays a married couple in I Love Lucy on television mm-hmm. years and years ago. Uh, the movie, I want to say, is set around 1960 um, after their, you know, their kind of their rise to uh, TV prominence and getting millions upon millions of viewers. And 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 the, the primary narrative is follows them over the course of a week as they're preparing a new episode and in the meantime, uh, Lucille Ball has been outed as a member of the Communist Party. And so there's all kinds of uh, backroom uh, discussion about, you know, what, what actually happened, what's going on here, how do we respond to this? And, you know, because it's kind of McCarthyite, you know, a lot of, a lot of tension, Red Scare type stuff. Um, oh, yeah. And then in the midst of that, there are a number of flashbacks to seeing where she started off not as a comedian, but just kind of as more of like the starlet type, uh, looking for the starlet type roles and, and could have been more successful with them, but then wound up kind of veering into more of a comedic uh, and eventually a, a television uh, career. And then, you know, meets meets Desi Arnaz and all this kind of thing. And and so there's, there are a lot of dynamics at, at work here where, you know, I was talking about female empowerment because Lucille Ball is such a powerful uh, you know, she's, she's so successful that she can really kind of call call the shots and all this kind of thing. And, and you do see her in a non-Lucy Ricardo role, right? And so she's still the same person, but not the joke getter, right? Yeah. And so what kind of what you describe is, is very much, very much in play. And, uh, you know, Nicole Kidman plays Lucille Ball, and, you know, fantastic job. Javier Bardem plays, uh, plays uh, Desi Arnaz and also really, really good. And, and so, you know, again, it's another kind of one of these movies where it does leave me feeling a little empty at the end because it's just kind of a drama about famous people dealing with, you know, one percenter challenges and, and stuff like this. <laughs> um, but, but it's yeah. good enough. And, you know, Aaron Sorkin is the director and writer. And so, of course, it's got, you know, it's very dialogue driven, but in a good way. And, uh, good. So, so of those four, that's probably the one that I would recommend the most. Um, looking over it, I think all of these are rated R, mostly for language, and then with some scattered kind of like sexual content. So, if that you know, if if anybody's wondering about that, they they all kind of fall into the same, the same basic category. So yeah, so that's category one. 
Category two of the quote-unquote prestige reviews is going to be the lowercase g good movies. Like these are these are good movies. I definitely enjoyed them, um, but uh, you know probably a little bit more than category one, but maybe not quite to the point where they're really contenders in my heart. Um, but you don't hate the fact that you saw them. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like yeah. none of them are bad movies. Um, yeah. The first one. Uh, is the Tender Bar, which is is based on a real life memoir, um, uh, and directed by George Clooney, and it's it's kind of so it's it's set in New England area, and it follows this this boy who I want to say this is the I think this is again like the seventies eighties, and and he's he's growing up. He and his mom, like his dad ran off, and so he and his mom have to move back in with, with her dad and their family. And so, and then their, their uncle, played by Ben Affleck, also lives with them. And he runs the bar around the corner, you know, the neighborhood bar. But he's also kind of this uh, scholar, you know. And so, so the bar has a huge, like in, in, among all of the, the bottles and, and spirits, um, there's a library and so, so this little boy, you know, he kind of gets uh, introduced to literature and, and all this. And, and Ben Affleck is kind of his his sage mentor, Obi Wan type character. And, um, and and so, it just I don't know. It's it's kind of the story of how he grows up. His mom wants him to go to Yale to become a lawyer, and he goes to Yale, but winds up kind of obviously becoming a writer because his memoir is what the book is about. Um, gotcha. His character's name is Jr. because he's named like junior after his dad. And of course the relationship with his father is kind of what drives the the plot in terms of how is he going to resolve his past in order to pursue his future. And, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. No, there's a very interesting plot there. Like, no, and it's good. That's, that's why I say like until, you know, more, more suspense here, but until (laughs) I saw the movies I saw in the last three or four days, tender bar was, basically my front runner for like best picture even though it wow. wasn't like well that's what i mean is it i i definitely liked it i i mm-hmm. wouldn't want to purchase it and and it would be kind of a soft vote for for best picture um but it's more like what else would you vote for well and that's kind of the problem feel up to this point right yeah. well and which and that's that's what has defined 2020 and 2021 honestly Ish. um yeah but then, so kind of leaning back into the the famous biopic, uh, you know, based on a true story genre, King Richard um, is another one that I yeah. I watched, and and of course Will Smith, you know, this is this is his movie. He's he plays the father, uh, Richard Williams of uh, Venus and Serena Williams, the famous tennis players, and and so it's the story of how he raised them and and brought them up in in Compton, uh, you know, by Los Angeles. And kind of brought them out of this, you know, really, really difficult circumstances, you know, w- without the access to the the money and the country clubs that, that your typical tennis prodigies have, but was able to kind of insert them into that world and get them the training. And then, of course, they became profoundly successful tennis players. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and one thing I really appreciated about this movie uh, was that, you know, it, it starts off and, and especially when you, you know, you, you see him on these, these courts in these, these local parks. And of course you've got, you know, gangbangers hanging out in the parking lot and stuff. And, and he's there with his, 
with his daughters practicing in the middle of the night. And, and so it's obvious that it's like, oh, gosh, this is such a, you know, as a father, such a precarious situation where because you want to protect your family, what was best for him, and you're just in an environment which is, you know, dangerous. But rather than kind of stick with this, he's the heroic victim. You eventually see how he kind of becomes more of a problematic character because he's very controlling. He kind of has his own idea for this is how we're going to do this and we're going to do it right. And mm -hmm. even to the point where he kind of manipulates people around him. And so it's it becomes a very more dynamic and nuanced character, which I appreciated. Um, because cool. it, it doesn't yeah. it, it shows him doing some really great things, but also shows that he's not anything like some kind of pristine, squeaky clean hero. Um, and so so I appreciated that. Uh, now, the, the last one in this category, Licorice Pizza, uh, which uh, was written and, and directed by uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. And so if you're a fan of his stuff, uh, this, you know, kind of falls in line with that. Um, this is basically the, uh, this, this is a very loose story in terms of plot. Um, it, it's basically a love story between uh, a couple of late teens, early 20s kids in uh, early 1970s uh, California. And uh, what's interesting about this one is that the boy, Gary, is played by Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, Cooper. Um, and as you watch his performance, you get these little flashes of his dad, which are really kind of fascinating. Um, Interesting. Uh, Alana Haim, I'm not sure it's Elena, Alana, uh, plays the girl, who's also named Alana. So I guess I'm mispronouncing two different things. Um, <laughs> and so so she's, she's a little older. She's working for a, a school uh, portrait company. And he's still in school, but he's a child actor. And so he's got all these ambitious entrepreneurial ventures. And, you know, he's starting businesses and he's going out on acting jobs and stuff. And the two of them meet as kind of this quirky, odd couple where he's kind of chasing her and she's kind of thinking, what is your deal? You're just kind of this weird kid who's, you know, a couple years younger and stuff. And the movie just kind of follows, you know, a few years in their lives as they're just kind of navigating the world of, you know, say 1973, according to IMDb. And, uh, uh, and it's like, I don't get the sense that it's explicitly based on a true story, but there are definitely uh, true references. Because it, it kind of plays off as if it is, because what it reminded me a lot of was um, yeah. Love and Mercy. Oh, you yeah. Know, with the right. Beach Boys and that kind of, like, it has that feel to it. So it feels like it could definitely be. It does, yeah, Epic. yeah. Um, this one kind of it. How would I describe it properly? Like I say, the the plot is very loose, and and it the fact that it's not locked down kind of makes it feel like it's kind of dragging on a little bit at certain points. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a spectacular sequence in the middle with a. Uh, um, I'm just going to call it the truck sequence and uh, you know to, just for anybody who wants to see it and my by far my favorite character in this and this, this is going to be one of my top votes for best supporting actor is Bradley Cooper who plays he, he, he basically is this character that's supposed to be Barbara Streisand's boyfriend at the time and 
somehow Gary and Alana come across him, and he is just a nutcase. <laughs> like, and, and Cooper plays him as just this kind of drugged out, sex addicted wacko who's somehow dating Barbara Streisand and will threaten your family in order to get you to do basically just just nutso. And easily one of the most vivid performances I saw this year. Um, and that's the thing I remember most about this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, like I said, just overall, just kind of a, kind of a basic kind of loose love story thing. Um, mm-hmm. So category three of the quote-unquote prestige reviews uh, is kind of a kind of a grab bag of the, some of the foreign movies I've been watching, uh, the documentaries I've been watching, uh, even some animated stuff, um, and then also a movie that technically is not a foreign film, but my experience felt like a foreign film, <laughs> and I'll, I'll explain more about that as I get there. So Flea is is a film about a boy who leaves, I believe it's Iran. I don't think it's Afghanistan. I think it's Iran. And he winds up, his family has to leave uh, kind of in the late 70s, early 80s. And what's interesting is that it is animated because they want to protect the identities of the people involved. Mm -hmm. And so it's an animated documentary, re-kind of dramatization of of this this man's story and how he eventually winds up in Denmark um, and... uh, Pretty cool. Pretty cool one. Um, so that one's like a documentary and a foreign film and an animated film. Uh, <laughs> They'll win all the Oscars. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it, uh, it, it checks lots of boxes. And uh, um, a hero. But that's a, a cool way to use that form to have Oh, yeah. No, it purpose. is. It is. Like, it, it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't one of my favorite, favorite movies of the year. But I would definitely say it's one of the most unique. Mm. Um, now, a hero is is a you know purely foreign film um, that follows uh, a man who gets out. He, he's a debtor. Uh, he's a, he's in a debtor's prison, and he owes a certain amount of money. And because he wasn't able to pay it back, it's put in prison. He gets out of prison, and his his girlfriend and he uh, come across some lost gold coins. And this kind of leads them into this opportunity where, okay, well, do I use this to buy my way to pay off my debt? Because he's, he's given leave because he's kind of like this low-risk low prisoner. Mm. Um, and it kind of leads into this, this local drama where basically they wind up giving the money back and then get celebrated as heroes, but then we find out that there's more to the story than they're letting on, and it's, it, it's kind of this cultural examination drama type thing that's this that's quite good and so uh, so both flea and a hero are are you know really good kind of foreign movies now the first wave is a documentary about uh the covid response in new york city for the first few months of the pandemic uh, in 2020 it's kind of a harsh right hand turn in terms of the category but you know really really good documentary and you know mm-hmm. very if you if you already kind of had a vague idea of, of what a lot of the first responders were doing and, you know, the nurses were dealing with mm. and, and doctors, you know, this, this follows a couple of specific patients and a couple of specific workers and really fantastic. Um, now, the one, the one that I jokingly include here as a, as a foreign <laughs> film is uh, The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is the latest adaptation of Macbeth, and this one's from Joel Cohen of the Cohen Brothers fame. <gasps> oh. and, and so... 
one of the certainly one of the most unique movies I've seen this year. Like visually, it's got like this square aspect ratio. I think it might be four by three, and black and white. The sets are amazing. It's this this very exotic looking kind of modern castle where instead of like the bricks and stones, it's it's all harsh lines and clean and I don't know it's just it's very you know I'm not doing it justice with with my words here looks spectacular really really intense soundtrack and the performances I assume are really good because for the life of me Macbeth is just one of those Shakespeare pieces (laughs) that you know I guess it it undercuts my my intellectual uh, image (laughs) you know whatever whatever it might be but good grief, it's, you know, like, wow, I, I'm not too. sure what's happening, but this looks really cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I was taking this uh, intro to drama class this semester, and, like, we were given feedback and everything, and I'm like, for the life of me, I just could not stand those Shakespeare, that Shakespeare unit. It was just really rough it's to get tough. through. Yeah, and we well, did multiple for that one, whereas, like, other ones we'd kind of jumped around. But I'm like, we could have just done one and, you know, checked it off the list. <laughs> But my word, yeah, well, you get it's hard. You get, you get the sense, yeah, no, you you get the sense that in with this kind of thing, trying to follow it word for word is kind of beside the point because it's mm. the art of the words and the delivery and the the imagery and the the, yeah. the, the the poetry of it. And so, so eventually, you kind of you know, and, and maybe maybe I'm just kind of speaking for the dumb people, but like I think you just <laughs> kind of have to look at it with more watch watch the movie more with a bird's eye view and and rather than parse each individual individual sentence just basically kind of follow what's going on and mm-hmm. and because that's that's basically what I wound up wound up doing and you know Denzel Washington plays Macbeth and, and and brings his his traditional weight and gravitas and all that and uh, uh, Francis McDormand uh, who I believe is Joel's wife Joel Cohen's wife uh, plays Lady Macbeth um, I want to say Brendan Gleeson pops up in there and and so it's like I said, the, the thing that stood out to me the most, other than the fact that you know it's so so difficult to follow um, at, at a pure dialogue level, is just visually striking. And if it wasn't for another movie I'm about to talk about, it would be my number one cinematography movie for the year. Um, mm. But uh, no, I mean, and, and in in my defense, in my defense, I <laughs> totally loved Much Do About Nothing back in the '90s with Kenneth Brownow and Emma Thompson. You know, oh yeah, totally, that's fun. You know, that, yeah. Followed that tw- very easy. Romeo and Juliet's always been pretty easy to follow. This one, though, wow! Like I, you know, <laughs> definitely need to be on top of my game, I guess, for that one. But uh, <laughs> so it felt like a foreign film, even though technically they were speaking English. So category four of my quote-unquote prestige reviews actually probably can drop the quotes because I think these movies genuinely deserve accolades. They they deserve the prestige. These are my uh, these are my best movies of the year and. Uh, even even aside from, uh, well, at least at least within kind of the prestige category, because there are a couple other ones that I don't think are going to be contenders that I are going to be my favorites. I think we'll talk about this in a future episode. But oh, for sure. Uh, but as far as the like I say, the kind of the prestige, uh, kind of Oscar hopeful movies, uh, category four, these represent my favorites, my bests by long shot. Uh, yesterday I watched Belfast online which is uh, kind of a semi-autobiographical uh, piece by Kenneth Branagh. 
about growing up in Northern Ireland um, during what I believe is the Troubles. It's it's the conflict between Protestants and, and Catholics in kind of 1969, 1970, when I believe that's the Troubles. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically revolves around the the story of his parents who, who were Protestants, but even though they weren't Catholic, they were still under pressure to kind of join this mob that was trying to cleanse the neighborhood of, of its Catholic residents. And and his mom and dad are basically trying to decide, can we stay here? Is it time to leave our home? Not just our home, but our home country. You know, do we go to England? Do we go to, to Australia? You're seeing the violence and, and kind of the... Uh, the dangers around them, but you're also following this little boy who, you know, I believe is, like I said, I, I think it's kind of loosely based on his experience. I don't know if it's supposed to be literally a biopic type thing. Um, but it's but, something uh, very personal for him, regardless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, and and so so the movie's really good. The story's right. really good. The acting, et cetera, et cetera. But again, the visuals, holy cow. This, I mean, and, and not just because it's black and white, because, you know, black and white could be kind of an easy, oh, well, hey, it's going to be very prestigious if we make it in black and white. No, and that's <laughs> that, That's why, you know, you, you kind of second guess. And it's like, ah, am I just buying it up? And, and here's, here's where I have to kind of fall back on my photography background, because every shot in this movie, almost literally every shot in the movie is this conscious beautiful crafted composition mm-hmm. and you know I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking of this one that I'm going to try to describe it Buddy is basically the stand-in for the Kenneth Branagh uh, character and he's this adorable little little toe-haired you know toe-haired kid and we're what we're seeing this world through his eyes and and part of his routine is to appeal to his his uh, grandfather and, and grandmother, who also lived kind of with the family, and so at one point, there's this, and it's a simple scene, like it's not a really dramatic scene, but I'm just staring at this with kind of goggle-eyed. Um, on the far left, you have Buddy, who's just kind of sitting on. He's he's not using. He's just kind of sitting on uh, like a community toilet. And so it's kind of like this little closet with the door open. And so he's just sitting on that while he's talking to his grandfather, who's kind of working on uh, a saddle. He, he kind of just has this little stool out in the alley that he sits on while he works on saddles and other other things. And so his grandfather's kind of in the middle of the frame. And then you look down the alley on the right-hand side of the frame, and his grandmother, who's played by Judy Dench, uh, is kind of sitting inside the building but by the window so you can kind of see her looking out and the composition of this is just awesome like they're just kind of having this casual conversation because you know i think you know buddy's trying to get advice for how to deal with his friends he's got this girl he's got a crush on it's in class and stuff but but just even these kind of innocuous forgettable scenes have this attention to detail and and so as good as the the story is and the acting the performances for me personally, just this, the cinematography of this thing is gorgeous, just absolutely fantastic. Um, and yet, still takes a distant second wow. on my favorite movies of this, of this list because, and you know, if we need to trim for time, we'll just trim everything but this one. <laughs> Sounds um, good. <laughs> I, 
on on recommendation from Steve Sales, our guest from two episodes ago, mm-hmm. uh, I sought out CODA, which uh, is an acronym that stands for Child of Deaf Adults. This one is only kind of sort of a prestige movie because it's been out for a while. I, I believe it was actually featured at Sundance at the beginning of the year. Um, this is far and away my favorite movie of 2021. Um, not even a competition. And wow, just, you know, it's it's one that like immediately, in fact, I think even before it finished, I was looking it up on Amazon to see if I could buy it. And it's unfortunately not available yet. So Coda follows the story of this teenage girl named Ruby. And it's uh, played by Amelia Jones. Uh, and she is the only hearing member of her family both her parents and her older brother are all deaf and so they all sign and of course Ruby also signs because she effectively has to be the translator for the family mm-hmm. as they work on their own fishing barge they basically have a family fishing business uh, this is you know kind of another kind of New England coast type uh, type setting mm-hmm. um, and in the midst of this Ruby discovers her passion for singing and so she decides to go out for a uh, position with this, with her high school choir. She meets up with her teacher, played by uh, Eugenio Derbez, um, who you might recognize from How to Be a Latin Lover from a few years ago. <laughs> kind of a kind of a comedic actor and really really kind of fun here. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Marley Matlin, uh, you might recognize, plays her mom. Uh, her father. Uh, Frank is played by Troy Kotzer, who I have not seen before, though he looks vaguely familiar. Anyway, um, so so it's basically this this conflict between this girl who loves to sing and can hear, still has this responsibility to her family, and how does she manage that? How do they decide whether to let her go and pursue her dreams because she's about to go to college and she wants to go off and you know pursue a singing scholarship, and the different elements in play here. Um, and admittedly, so there are some some personal connections that I made to this, uh, just because you know I, I have family with some hearing loss and and different things. Um, but then just like the the spirit of kind of the singing and and the vibe of this movie, there's there's kind of like this awkward humor kind of style that uh, you know just kind of the the embarrassing humor of of real life warts and all type type thing it's i don't know i mean i I don't want to dig too deep into the different plot lines because this is this is something you want everyone to experience oh my goodness yeah yeah Yeah. and and as as a kind of a bonus and i'm gonna i'm gonna mess up his name uh ferdia walsh pilo uh plays kind of her singing partner slash would-be boyfriend at school this is the same actor who was in Sing Street a few years ago, which ah. was another one of my all-time favorites. Which I have and, to say, uh, sorry, side note, because of the podcast, yeah. because of my viewing of it, um, my mom and my sister ended up watching it, and they said that was, like, their favoritest movie ever. They love it so Oh, much. my goodness. Yeah. So I'm and, so glad well, he came and, back to this. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, because I really haven't – I think this is the first time I've seen him in something else since then. Yeah. And, and I even – after I saw him, and he, he plays uh, an American. Like, he doesn't play – because he was, uh, you know – an Irish character in Sing Street. I just, I guess, I just assumed he was Irish. But uh, um, 
for a second, I was I, I had to go double check and see if this was another John Carney movie because again, kind of the theme of music mm. and stuff. But it's uh, so it's not John Carney, but it's got a lot of that same kind of that same vibe, kind of that same spirit. And mm-hmm. oh, oh my goodness, just yeah. I I can't recommend this enough. This this one for a variety of reasons is is my top my top gun for 2021. <laughs> So, so I wanted to wanted to finish up on a, you know, this this awful, sprawling, <laughs> chaotic, incomprehensible <laughs> breakdown of movies that uh, you know, and I'm sure there'll be more coming. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. Oh, it was very interesting hearing you talk about those movies because, like, you know, back to that whole idea of just fine. Like, I I feel like I'm still searching out my coda moment, really. Like. There are some movies I really enjoyed, but um, you know, coming up at the end of the year, I'm 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 so hopeful. Um, now knowing what is coming out, um, I'm not sure if I'm you know this is necessarily my year of like oh, this is the movie that's going to be my new you know top three, right? You know, I, I've been a little pressed for time these past few months, but also there are just a lot of movies where you know I did have time this weekend where I could have seen maybe at least one of them, but I just I didn't have a lot of motivation for it because it did feel like maybe they're just pushing for the Oscar kind of, yeah, you know, Oscar bait, quote unquote, you know. Right. Um, but there, it does sound like there are some good things to check out, so I'm really glad you covered them in that way. Um, but I think for me, like, maybe I'm growing up and the, the magic of the Oscars is waning on me, but like, I, I loved watching the Oscars, and, you know, I'd have my favorite movies that I'd be rooting for, my favorite actors and whatever. And this year, like, you know, that theme of everything's just kind of fine, or at least it's been fine so yeah. far. Yeah, But the things that, like, have really stood out to me are more like the the subcategories, or, like, the, you know, ones that no one's really caring much about. Like, there's some stuff with visual effects, mm-hmm. with cinematography, with um, sound mixing, even, like, you know, there have been some really high-quality stuff. It's just, you know, you asked me who my favorite actor was this year, like, my favorite actor performance. Like, I couldn't tell you. Or supporting roles. Like, I don't even know what I'd pick for the top film of the year, but it seems like there are some stuff coming oh, out. Oh, it's going to so be Coda. I just need to catch up. It's, it's going to be Coda. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I, I'm i going to put money on it right now. Not to... Not, not to... Uh, uh, sway your opinion before you see it but i'm guessing that you're going to like west side story a lot and so mm. i if i if i had to put money on it i would probably say that's probably going to be your number one pick based on what i'm hearing so far yeah um, i think my pick so far would be something kind of like in the heights oh so that's right maybe, yeah 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 so that see, might I be did, i did not see that one um but it's a shame <laughs> it's <laughs> it's okay. I might not get around to Coda this year, so. Well. I'll try. Uh, I'll try. Your, your, your life well, here's is the interesting you're just going to be unfulfilled until you do, is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, here's what I'm wondering with Coda, and this was kind of the talk last year that um, was kind of like maybe this will hurt potential Oscar winners, but the whole being released on a streaming service, because this is Apple TV, isn't it? Yes. Um, that's a good point. Um, I want to say that it was still playing, and might still be playing, at the Broadway. Okay. So, so I think it does have. It has like official theatrical release to it. 
Yeah. Because is, is that still the rule? Because I, I wasn't sure if they changed that or not. Because there are some things that I was looking up for yeah. my picks of this year, and a lot of them are, like, tied to Netflix. But there was there was the movie that was on... Was it on Netflix for, like... It was in theaters for a week, and then they just parsed it over to Netflix. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. Um, but, you know, The Irishman was kind of the same deal, where it had, That's like, this limited, limited yeah. release, and then it was on... So, yeah, so I think that... Pre-COVID, anyway, there was kind of this understanding that as long as it was in theaters br- briefly, that it would be eligible. But I don't know how that's changed as a result of everything that's been happening for the last couple of years. So I could not say for sure. Because I was thinking, like, my top pick for um, animated would probably be The Mitchells versus The Machines. Oh, yeah. Like, that one was just incredible. I don't know if you no, no. got to watch that one, but... Like, you know, just animation alone, but, I mean, it'll probably go to, like, Encanto or something like that, right? Like, it, it's, it's going to be Disney. Yeah, well, and I didn't, but... I didn't even mention this, but uh, I, I watched one, uh, Summit of the Gods, which is a, uh, um, oh. I think it might be Japanese, because I think it's an anime. Well, it's actually, as I recall, it is based on a famous anime about uh, this journalist who tries to find uh, this famous climber who's trying to do the Southwest approach on Everest uh, back in like the 80s or 90s or something like that. But uh, that was good. I mean, the animation itself wasn't astounding, but it was a good movie that was also animated. And so um, mm-hmm. yet another one for the list. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the never-ending pile. I, I promise that I will start watching movies again and oh, uh, relieve your burden. <laughs> <laughs> you're okay. You're, uh, you're totally fine. Yeah, but and I mean, yeah. what are your feelings about the Oscars in general? Because I know, like, some people, it's all like, oh, oh it's just all for yeah. show. Because, like, I, no, I don't know, for I, me, it's, it's a celebration, but now it just kind of, yeah, feels... I think I think I think the Oscars is a perfect crystallization of of my love hate relationship with Hollywood, because <laughs> uh, I love movies. I've always loved movies, and probably always will. <laughs> um, and yet, you know, there's it's kind of like the more you know about how the sausage gets made, the, <laughs> the less you want to eat it. You know, well, yeah, just. You know, I mean, I, I remember, remember having this experience because I, I knew a guy who worked for the Oscar Mayer Wiener Company, and it's like I, I was never a big hot dog guy before that, but then like after that, it's like oh, I can't, I can't, can't eat these things again. because I know what happens. Um, uh, and so it's kind of like the more you hear about all the the behind the scenes drama, and you know, I, I think some people might even feel this way with the Me Too movement, right? Is you find out about mm-hmm. what happens behind the scenes and with with some of the people, and the more you find out about these famous people, yeah. It, it sometimes becomes really difficult. And, and of course, you know, there's also the tendency for the Oscars to be a soapbox for various causes here and there to the point where, you know, nothing wrong with voicing a cause, but if that's what, you know, if, if, if the focus turns to that instead of the movies, mm. you know, it, it can be very divisive. And, and I yeah. don't know. I So I, I mean, honestly... The only reason I pay attention to the Oscars right now is because I've got a party, an annual party that I go to. Oh, that, good. And so it's a reason to get together 
and I well I, I wrote about this so I might as well just say like uh, TC yeah. Christensen um, oh, you know, lo a local director yeah so I I uh, I he he and I are friends and I'm I played in a band with his with his son Tanner several years ago and and so so I'm kind of a family friend and I'll I'll get together for their Oscar party once a year and it's like the Oscars are almost kind of uh, do we really have to watch this while while we're here I'd rather just shoot the bull <laughs> with my friends yeah. but but yeah I mean but there's still movie magic and you still really love it and it kind of inspires you to be creative and yeah and so so yeah so that's why I say it's it's a very love hate type of relationship and I might use a little bit of a sarcastic cynical tone but <laughs> you know I mean I like a lot of these prestige type movies and and a lot of times they really are the movies that deserve the accolades and the you know the attention and the awards and all that kind of thing mm -hmm. um, in a lot of cases not every case I mean I definitely think that there are movies that get overlooked because they don't have the same kind of uh, push and and marketing behind them, uh, for sure. but uh, but no, I mean, you know, being the Ricardos is a really good movie, and and Licorice Pizza has some really great moments, and Tender Bar, you know, and then just, I mean, Belfast is just really this incredible movie, and the, and these are all kind of consciously prestige movies. I think I think part of the reason I like Coda so much is because it's not, you know, I don't I don't. It wasn't setting out to get that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's more of a indie movie, you know, like like The Farewell or or like yeah. uh, Hunt for the Wilder People that I just, you know, it just kind <laughs> of came out of nowhere and I adore it and, yeah. and, and Sing Street, you know. And so, so in a way, I would rather see those movies succeed the most, but I still enjoy these others that, yeah. you know – and I guess, and again, maybe maybe that's why I feel more cynical towards stuff like House of Gucci because it feels like, well, the formula is we're going to take a true story with some really vivid characters who have dramatic, you know, uh, money and wealth, and they're well known, and we're going to do these biopics about these people, and that's our ticket to accolades and stuff. And and so, so while they're good, and they obviously have really fantastic performances, there's also kind of the feeling like it's it's more calculated it's it's the difference between text and context you know because you can't evaluate these movies just based on the movie itself you have to take all these other considerations into it mm -hmm. and 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 so once you factor all that stuff in together you know there's there's stuff that that you like and there's stuff that kind of turns you off and <laughs> and and so i don't know it's 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 interesting i mean it's it's one of the interesting parts of the job really you know mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Danny, it has been yes. good to have you back. <laughs> I'm so I glad I got to join in on this, and I'm I'm really glad that I have these uh, new recommendations. I'm I'm excited to jump back into movie watching and the discussions and all of it. It'll be yeah. fun to see how this year wraps up. Oh, definitely, definitely, and you know maybe it's kind of a uh, uh, kind of a teaser for our next episode. Um, mm -hmm. The plan is to jump into as we were talking about. We're going to do West Side Story. Uh, should be able to see the new Spider-Man movie. Um, plus, we're going to talk about some of our favorite Christmas movies. So mm -hmm. look forward to that. I'm, I'm excited to talk about that stuff. Oh, it'll be so much fun. Nice. And in the meantime, wherever you are, thank you so much for listening. And uh, let us know how you how you feel. If you've got some, some prestigious movies you would like to recommend or some non-prestigious ones that you think deserve consideration uh let us know and in the meantime have a great holiday season be safe and we'll talk to you soon